So here's the candle, uh, the candle of hope, the first candle uh, of, of Advent. And today we're, we're talking about hope. Um, I'm going to just share a brief experience with you, and I'm, I'm wondering if you've ever had this happen to you. Have you ever looked at your, your bank account and seen money that's been deposited there that, that you have no idea where, where it's come from? You've probably had the opposite happen, right? Where you look and, wow, there's a lot of money that's been removed, and you question who's taken it out. We had this unique experience uh, a while ago where this money was deposited into our account, and we had no idea where it was from. And so immediately we called the bank and, and tried to get to the bottom of this. We explained the situation, and they're like, do you know where this is from? They promised they would look into this for us and, and get back to us. And so it was this, this lump sum of money. I'm not going to tell you how much. doesn't matter. point is, it was, it was like, wow, this, this is really weird. This is interesting. What should we do? Well, obviously, we didn't want to spend it. It's not ours. We didn't earn it. We, we didn't know where it came from, so we waited to hear back from the bank. It took a, a few days. Uh, I'm not putting down banks, but man, uh, we had to keep calling and calling and calling and reminding them, hey, have you looked into this? We still don't know what's going on. Where'd this money come from? We finally heard back from the bank who, who told us that, you know what? This money is, in fact, yours. There was a, a big explanation behind it, but they said, it's yours. It's yours to keep. It's yours to do with as you please. And we were kind of like, oh. Huh. You know what's strange? Perhaps for some of you that would just be okay. Like, let's let's go to the let's go to the supermarket now. Let's let's go spend this money. Um, but we were really leery about it because we were still, even though they assured us this is yours, this has been deposited into your account. Do with it as you want. We were still kind of, is it really ours? What what if? What if there turns out to be a mistake and they come back and they say, no, 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 we're going to need that back and we've done something with it? Um, anyway, it was a unique experience and I just ask you to hold on to that thought uh, and turn with me in your Bibles to the book of, if you have your Bibles, and if you don't, that's okay because we'll have it up here on the screen, the book of Jeremiah, uh, the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, chapter 33, and uh, as I said, this is, as we've heard, this is the first Sunday in Advent, which is considered the beginning of the Christian calendar year. It's a season of preparation. Again, not only for the celebration of Christmas, which, which we look forward to, but ultimately for the return of Jesus Christ. Uh, so it's a season of tension. As much as there's this anticipation, the narrative of Advent includes both promise and threat, because Really, I mean, Jesus is coming back as, as conquering king and judge. And so if we are not right with God, this is terrifying. But for those of us who have been made right with God through Jesus Christ, this is amazing. This is a time of hope and expectation as we wait for Jesus' return. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be recounting the narrative of hope and expectation for the coming Messiah expressed so powerfully through some of the Old Testament prophets, specifically Isaiah, Jeremiah, that we're going to look at today, and the prophet Malachi. So 
you're hopefully turned there, Jeremiah chapter 33, and uh, these words that we're going to read today are spoken into a time of great darkness, roughly 625 years before Jesus was born. Israel was in a state of spiritual darkness. Times were bleak. I'm going to read out some words here, and I just want you to think to yourself, does this sound familiar at all, okay? Um, It was a time marked by religious insincerity, dishonesty, social and political injustice, tyranny against the helpless, murder, slander, adultery, and flagrant idol worship, idolatry. This was the norm, not the exception. Does that sound familiar at all? I mean, that, that could be describing this day, 2021. That, that's really, that's the world in which we are living. Um, so, long before Jeremiah, in Isaiah's day, a king by the name of Ahaz had set up a, a terrible system of, of idol worship that involved sacrificing children to the god Moloch in the valley of Hinnom, which was just outside of Jerusalem. And while his son, Hezekiah, tried to clean things up, Hezekiah's son, Manasseh, reinstituted child sacrifice and continued that practice along with gross idolatry, which carried on into Jeremiah's time that we're going to look at here today. Um, Now, you remember little King Josiah? He came along and, and he was a great king. He instituted some reforms that repressed some of those worst practices outwardly, but the deadly disease of sin still ran deep, and sure enough, it reared its ugly head, flourished quickly once again under the reigns of King Jehoiakim and King Zedekiah. That's a lot of kings. Those were the kings who were empowered during the time of Jeremiah, when Jeremiah prophesies. When God's word comes to Jeremiah, God calls him to prophesy about what was to come. So, hear these words. This is verses 14 to 16 of Jeremiah 33. Here's what the Lord declares. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the gracious promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called. The Lord, our righteousness. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word today. It's, uh, it's into this dark spiritual context that, that Jeremiah proclaims these words of hope. Um, Jeremiah, amazing, amazing prophet. Uh, before he was even born, God's hand was on Jeremiah whom he had chosen to serve as his prophet. And here's what God declared about Jeremiah. He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. In fact, the name Jeremiah means appointed by God. And that's what God had chosen for Jeremiah to do, to proclaim his word, his, his judgment upon God's people. Uh, because here's the thing. God's people were disobeying him like never before. 
there were two kingdoms of Hebrews. In the north, there was Israel, and in the south, there was Judah. And the Old Testament prophets would constantly have to remind both Israel and Judah that God still owned the world, that he still was in control of history, and he had a special claim on the children of Abraham and expected their absolute obedience. In fact, everything that the prophets predicted about the future, including what we read here, it was always intended to produce obedience in the present. Problem was, it wasn't. That wasn't happening. There was this epidemic of disobedience. So Jeremiah boldly pronounces God's judgment, God's punishment on the people for their idolatry and their unwillingness to repent. And he continues to pronounce it for for 40 years. It's a long message. Today's is going to be a little shorter. Not quite 40 years, it might feel like it. Um, You see, here's the thing. If God doesn't immediately punish sin, it's because he is long-suffering and slow to anger. But we should never mistake God's patience for tolerance. God's desire was that the people would hear his word and turn back to him from these false gods that they were worshiping. But... Jeremiah made clear that if they didn't do that, God's judgment, they would have to face it in its fullness. And it was Jeremiah's duty to tell them exactly what that judgment looked like, which, by the way, is why Jeremiah has been called the weeping prophet, because it was with tears in his eyes that he shared this message of of tear-inducing, terrifying judgment. He had to proclaim it. That is not an enviable position, (laughs) People hated hearing it, including the king at the time, King Zedekiah, because everything Jeremiah prophesied happened. It came to pass. And so the king at the time, Zedekiah, he had Jeremiah thrown in prison. Get, put this guy away. Shut him up. But he couldn't. Because even in prison, actually that is where this passage that we're looking at today, that is where God spoke To and through Jeremiah in prison, the king's courtyard prison. Uh, And here's, here's what that judgment entailed. God promised that the streets of Judah would be filled with the dead bodies of the men I will slay in my anger and wrath. I will hide my face from this city because of all its wickedness, wickedness. So that's, that's the scene. That's the judgment that's coming. That's what King Zedekiah has heard and, and is, knows is going to happen. And yet in the middle of this darkness and pending catastrophe, Jeremiah speaks words of hope as our candle reminds us today. In chapter 32, the Lord commands Jeremiah to do something really weird for uh, a land that's about to be invaded. God commands Jeremiah to buy a field. Okay, There's a conquering army coming. The the place is going to be leveled, but God commands Jeremiah to go out and buy this field. Okay, so strange, but that's what he does. Jeremiah goes out, he purchases this land as a pledge, as a sign, as a promise of God's redemption. That was the purpose, and here's what we read in chapter 32, verse 15. This is what the Lord Almighty says, the God of Israel. Houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. Okay, looking off into the future, this is a promise, a pledge, a a hope, hope for the future. And then in our passage today, Jeremiah speaks 
of the future restoration of David's line. Because what's about to happen will bring an end to David's line. The, the temple will be demolished. It'll be destroyed. The dead bodies of God's people laying in the streets. And of course, God's people would be hauled off into exile for 70 years under the Babylonians. Well, here's what Jeremiah declares. In those days, at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. By the way, if, you, if you're uh, reading through the book, book of Jeremiah, this is the second time we read this exact, these exact words, this same declaration. You can see it 10 chapters earlier in chapter 23 where he pronounces this, this same thing. In those days, at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. Now, that might sound familiar if you're familiar with the book of Isaiah. This is what we read in Isaiah chapter 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Okay. This is a powerful image. Think about this. It's kind of like this. From this dead tree stump, a branch will sprout, will bear fruit. It's a picture of new life coming out of death. It's, it's a picture of hope, of unexpected joy. You see, the house of David might be cut down. It might look like a dead stump, but God and God alone is able to bring life out of death. A branch will sprout and bear fruit. And Jeremiah proclaims God's promise of this, this bright future for the people of Judah and Israel. It will be a time of healing there will come a time of health and forgiveness of sins and eventually the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And so Jeremiah calls the people to prepare the way for the Lord, which is why we're looking at this passage today, because that's what Advent is all about, the preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. Well, notice what Jeremiah says about this righteous branch in verse 15. He says, he will do what is just and right in the land. Now, depending on what version you're reading, that word right is a really important word in the Old Testament. It's used over a thousand times. It's variously translated as straight, as pure, as innocent, as righteous, which is a really good translation. Also, I think it's the New King James calls it righteousness. Righteousness. He will do what is just and righteous in the land. There are two different kinds of righteousness that the Bible talks about. Um, the first is a righteousness that comes by obeying the law of God, okay? If, and that's a big if, if you are able to follow God's law to a T, you are counted righteous. That, is, that means right standing. You are in right standing with God if you are able to fulfill the law, to, to do everything that it says perfectly. The problem is we can't. The problem is no one can <laughs> I really appreciate how the Apostle Paul cuts to the chase. He lays it out for us. Here's what he says. There is no one righteous. Not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. In case you didn't get it the first time. Not a single person is righteous. He goes on to, to conclude this, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become 
just really conscious of our sin, of how far short we have fallen from the glory of God, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, so where does that leave us? In a whole lot of trouble. We're doomed, people, because not some of us have sinned. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glory, and righteousness is something we will never, ever be able to achieve on our own. That's the bad news. We're doomed. On our own, we cannot make ourselves right with God. Righteousness means perfection. That is God's standard, and there's nothing we'll be able to do to achieve it. And so we stand condemned, doomed, destined for God's judgment, Unless there's a way, unless there is the possibility of God providing a righteous Savior. Which brings us to the other kind of righteousness that the Bible talks about, which is the righteousness of God Himself. Not the righteousness that comes from obeying the law to a T, but the righteousness that defines. God who is holy, God Almighty. Look again at verse 15. Jeremiah, looking far into the future, prophesies. He says, in those days, at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. Okay, there's an ancient Aramaic paraphrase called the Targum. And here's how that paraphrase translates the word branch. The word they use is Messiah, which means Messiah, which means chosen one. In Greek, it's Christos, Christ. I will make a righteous Messiah, a righteous Christ, sprout from the line of David. When? In those days. You know what this is pointing to? This is pointing to the very first verse of the New Testament. Matthew 1.1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christos. The Messiah. Jesus Christ. Who? Son of David. The son of Abraham. Wow. Paul, by the way, is talking about Jesus in Romans 3 that we were just looking at there when he says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets all testify. And by the way, what did the prophets testify? What did Je Jeremiah testify? This, in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. Here it is, the Lord our righteousness the Lord our righteousness. Can you say that with me? The Lord our righteousness. This is an amazing, amazing title. I don't know that you know how amazing this title is. I'm just rediscovering how amazing this title is. The Lord our righteousness. Um, in, in the Hebrew, and I'll probably butcher this trying to pronounce it, but it's, it's Jehovah Tzidkenu. The Lord, our righteousness, also translated the Lord, our righteous Savior, pointing to Jesus Christ, God's one 
and only Son. It is through Jesus Christ alone that the righteousness of God has been made known, my friends. Um, a really old guy named George Whitfield, who was an English Anglican cleric, one of the founders of Methodism and the evangelical movement. In fact, he was probably one of the most influential religious figures of the 18th century. Here's what he said. He preached a much better sermon than I'm preaching to you. He preached on this passage. And here's what he said about this verse. By the righteous branch, all agree that we are to understand Jesus Christ. He is called the Lord in our text. If there were no other text in the Bible to prove the divinity of Christ, that is that Jesus is God, this is, this is sufficient. For it is plain that by the word Lord, we are to understand the Lord Jesus Christ, who here takes to himself the title Jehovah, and therefore must be very God of very God, or as the apostle devoutly expresses it, God blessed forevermore. Amazing. Jeremiah was pointing to Jesus Christ, the Messiah King, God in the flesh himself. So that's great. He's been made known. But you know what? That doesn't mean a thing. If his righteousness isn't our own. Okay, let's just break it down here. It's great that Jesus has been made known. And here's what he did. But unless Jesus' righteousness can be called our own, deposited into our account, spiritually, it doesn't mean anything. We're still helpless. We're still hopeless. And that is why this title that I had you all repeat is so precious. The Lord, our, that tiny little word, three letters, makes all the difference in the wor world. The Lord, our our righteousness, our righteous Savior, our, our. Um, okay, here's the thing. We know according to Philippians, there's a day coming when every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Whether you acknowledge that now or not, there will be a day when every person does. They will acknowledge that he is Lord, he is Jehovah, he is righteousness itself. But the core, the heart of that title is, is that word, our. Our. Charles Spurgeon, great preacher I often quote, he called it the grappling hook with which we get a hold on him. It's the anchor which dives into the bottom of this great deep of his immaculate righteousness. And that happens by faith. By believing. Nothing more. By believing what God's word says. By taking God at his word. By believing that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, who loved us and gave himself for us. Uh, this is how Paul puts it as we continue in Romans 3. By the way, I think uh, Romans 3 is essential to understanding <laughs> Jeremiah 33. Here's what we read here. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? This righteousness is what? Is given, okay, given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Not to some who believe, 
Not to God's favorites who believe, to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Amen. Um, The righteousness of God in Christ. Let's just talk about that for a second. It implies two things. There's, There's the active as well as passive obedience of Jesus, okay? Jesus not only died, he lived, right? He not only suffered, but, but he obeyed perfectly. Jesus didn't come to abolish the, the law, but to fulfill it completely. And both of these, both the, the passive and active obedience of Christ are ours, can be made ours, put into our account through a word that, that we've forgotten about, and I'm going to teach it to you today. It's called imputation. Not, not amputation, not implantation, imputation, imputation. It's a strange but important word that's been used for hundreds of years to describe the glorious truth that God imputes or credits his own righteousness into our spiritual bank account. How? Through faith in Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus' perfect obedience, God's own righteousness is credited to our account, my friends. And we don't have to call the bank to question it. It's there. Here's what that means for you, in case you've forgotten. And I think it's easy to forget. I'm going to quote Spurgeon again, because I, I can't beat him. Here's what, how he describes this, this doctrine of imputation. He says, when we believe in Jesus... By faith, we receive our justification. Remember learning justification is like just as if I'd justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Okay, simple way. There's, there's more to it than that, but simple way to sort of get the basics of that. Here's what Spurgeon goes on to say. As the merit of Jesus' blood takes away our sin, so the merit of his obedience is imputed to us for righteousness. We are considered, okay, as soon as we believe, as though the works of Jesus here are our works. What? God looks upon us as though that perfect obedience of Christ has been performed by ourselves. God considers us as though we were Christ. Looks upon us as though his life had been our life and accepts, blesses, and rewards us as though what he had done has been done by us, his believing people. Wow. Okay, so let's just be clear. What can you do? What can you do to earn that? Nothing. It's a a deposit made into your account when you put your faith in Jesus. His righteousness becomes yours. That's incredible. Look at this verse here, Romans 4, verses 4 and 5. When a man works, okay, so working for your wage... His wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. You see, it means that when we repent and believe in Jesus Christ, my friends, we are forensically declared righteous. By faith, Jesus' righteousness is placed in our account, deposited there. Which means this. 
for those who don't believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, He is the righteous judge who is coming to judge the world. But to those of us who believe in and confess Jesus Christ as our Lord, He is the Lord, our righteous Savior, our righteousness itself. The prophet Jeremiah, what he said was pretty simple. He said, he, the righteous branch, the Messiah, will execute justice and righteousness in the land. But here's the thing. Here's the rub, okay? It wasn't by power or strength in battle that Jesus would accomplish this. Jesus would execute justice by being unjustly executed. He would offer his righteousness by doing what? By taking our unrighteousness upon himself, by willingly laying down his life, the spotless, righteous son of God, dying a criminal's death reserved for the vilest offenders, the king of all kings whose kingdom is not of this world. He endured the full wrath of God against sin, against Israel's sin, Judah's sin, the sin of the past, the sin of the present, the sin of the future, your sin, my sin, their sin, all of our sin, the sin of the entire world, Jesus took it. He endured the punishment that we fully earned and rightfully deserved as he was forsaken by God the Father, dangling between heaven and earth, pinned to a wooden cross by spikes through his wrists and his feet. And he did that until the, the full punishment for sin was paid. And then Jesus cried out, it is finished. Then he gave up his spirit and he died. And in that word finished, God's justice was served. The debt of our sin, the huge, immeasurable debt we owe, it was paid in full. Our unrighteousness was dealt with, and guess what? His righteousness, the righteousness of God himself, was freely made available to us, imputed to all those who do what? Who believe in him, who turn away from their life of sin and trust in Jesus. The word righteous is a relationship word. It means you're in right standing with God. You are righteous in his sight. So the question is, are you? What's in your spiritual bank account? The debt of our sin, my friends, I mean, it's, it's incalculable. It's a hard word to say, incalculable. It's unpayable on our own. But, I love this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21, we're going to sing this verse in a minute. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, Jesus, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So I'll just say this, if you have not repented of your sin and surrendered in faith to Jesus Christ, there's a huge debt of sin in your spiritual bank account that you'll never be able to pay, and it leads to death. It leads to eternal punishment, separation from God in a terrible place called hell. I'm telling you straight, that's what the Bible tells us. But today, if you confess your sins, turn away from your life of sin and unrighteousness and believe in God's Son, Jesus, who alone is righteous, you will be justified. 
The debt of your sin paid in full by Jesus' righteous blood shed there on the cross. You will be credited on top of that with his righteousness and made right with God. And guess what? You'll be given the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's that little but huge word, our, again. So is he your Lord? Can, can you say together with God's people here, he, he is our Lord only by faith in Jesus can we claim and proclaim the Lord Jesus is our righteousness. So to those who are followers of Jesus, I would just say this. Um, take a look at your account, your spiritual bank account. Know what's in there. And, and look and, and study and examine and thank God for his righteousness that has been deposited there through faith in Jesus. And you know what I'd say? If it's been credited there, what are you doing with that? How, how are you living? Does your life reflect the deposit that's been made in that account? That you are counted righteous. That when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus. If so, that should affect how we live, shouldn't it? I'll give the final word to the Apostle Paul. He says this, in the same way, then, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. This is what Paul reiterates in Romans 12.1 when he says, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This, this is your spiritual act of worship. This is how we are supposed to live until Jesus Christ returns. And so bring glory to God the Father and share this righteousness with this world who is unrighteous, who needs to hear the good news that is hidden in our hearts. That salvation is found in no one else, that there is no other name under heaven given whereby men and women must be saved, the name of Jesus Christ. Jeremiah reminded the people, the days are coming when a Savior, the Messiah King, will be born. He will grow up and live and teach and preach and work miracles among us. He would face cruel suffering, meet a criminal's death at the hands of the corrupt and powerful, and then would be raised from the dead, Jesus would, three days later with the promise to, to return, the promise to come back and draw all of his people to himself to complete all of history and inaugurate the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem, which will be safe and secure forevermore. Yesterday, today, and forever, this is our hope, as the candle reminds us. This is who we wait for, the righteous branch of David's line, Jesus Christ, our coming Messiah King, the Lord, our righteousness. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, it is so wonderful when, when we stop and just take stock of what you have done for us 
Father, thank you for the incredible price that you paid by sending your one and only son, Jesus, to lay down his perfect life, his righteous life on the cross so that my sins could be forgiven in full, so that our sins and all sin could be paid for with his precious righteous blood. Father God, if there's anyone here today hearing these words for the first time, who has not turned to you and put their trust in you, surrendered their life to you, asked to be forgiven, asked to be saved. I pray, God, that, that you would prompt them to do that today with just a simple prayer, a simple word of faith. Jesus, save me. Father, forgive me. God, I, I pray, Lord, that as your people those who are counted righteous, that we would take this word today, this promise today, this deposit that you've placed in our spiritual bank accounts today, and live according to it. Be holy because you are holy and you've empowered us to be, to live righteously, to live godly lives in this present world. Father, help us to shine your light like never before into the darkness and share with people the reason for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ our righteous Savior, our righteousness, our Lord. It's in his name I pray, amen. This morning as uh, we respond to the message, I would ask if you are able to stand with us as we sing the song, Jesus, Messiah, reminding us that uh, we have become his righteousness uh, by faith. So let's sing that together and uh, remember that. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness. He humbled himself and carried the cross love so amazing love so amazing Jesus Messiah name above all
ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah, Lord of Jesus Messiah. Thank you for joining us in our service of worship today. Pray it's been a, a blessing for you. And uh, remember the words that we've heard, that we in Christ are and have the righteousness, His righteousness in our account. So let's live accordingly. On that note, I want to pronounce the benediction. But before I do, invite everyone who is going to be joining the call with Imad al Mass to stay put. Now, unless you're a parent who has children out there, you can depart Go get your kids and then come back in uh, for the call if they're going to be a part of that. But otherwise, uh, thank you. Thank you once again for joining us. And now receive the Lord's blessing. This is from Jude 24 and 25. To him who is able to do, sorry, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Lord bless you.